Hey, good morning. How you doing? Let me hear you this morning. There we go. All right. I, I was starting to wonder a little bit. I know you're coming off of a lethargic holiday weekend, and so everybody who's here, you just barely slid in the doors this morning, but we're so excited to have you. Let me give a couple announcements. If you're visiting with us, uh, let me invite you to connect with us. You can do that in two ways. Uh, the first is when you were coming in, if you're here in person, you were given a connection card. If you would do us a favor and fill that out, uh, or if you're watching online, or if you're here in person, you don't want to deal with the paper connection card, you can text to connect. And so that information will be coming up on the screen. And what you do is you text VICTORY18 to the number 31996. That sends you a digital connection card. And here's what that's about. Uh, it's actually for a couple of reasons. One is just for you to be able to find out more about VICTORY, because as we get that information, we can reach out to you and say, hey, here's some things you might want to know. Here's some things you can look forward to. It's also your way to be able to ask any questions, get whatever information you need. Um, maybe you've been visiting for a couple of weeks now. Maybe you've been coming for a while and just haven't actually taken that step to connect. Uh, one of the things we like to say here is that we want to get you from, the, from your seat to your feet. And so it's the idea of getting you connected, small groups, dream teams, and things like that, uh, just so that you can make relationship, build relationship and connection, because I believe that the best way for you to grow in the Lord is to do it along other people that are growing in the Lord together. And so it's just an awesome opportunity for you, whether it be small group, whether it be a dream team, to make connections with other believers. So do that for us. After service, if you're here, you can either take that card or you can show evidence that you made that or you, you made that connection over your phone. And we have a special gift for you that we'd love to give you just to say, hey, thank you so much for spending uh, Sunday with us. Also, if you're looking for a way to give, uh, every month we have faithful givers that support Victory Church. And because of it, not only are we able to do some of the things that we've been able to announce recently, like uh, the contract, the lease that we signed with our brand new building and different things. Come on, we can give God praise. I'm going to do it every Sunday. Every Sunday I'm going to sneak it in. You know what I mean? We're just going to find ways to praise God. I have an alarm on my phone every day at 5 o'clock that goes off that says, praise God for the building. And I did it before we got it. I'm going to keep doing it forward. Can I get an Amen. Look, y'all done messed up. I'm excited this holiday weekend. Y'all messed with me. Uh, we might not get out of here till two. Y'all cool with that? You just eat your leftovers. Why y'all looking away? All of y'all looking away? Okay. Um, sorry, totally off track. Um, thank you to all those that continue to give. If you're looking for a way to give, we do that three ways. You can do it through our online portal, which is our website and our app. You can also text to give, just like you text to connect. Information will be on the screen. Or then as you're leaving, there'll be an auditorium host with a bucket if you'd like to give cash, check. And every time I talk about giving, I like to share with you where that money is going. Not only does it go to actually help the church operate and do the ministry that we do, but we are very committed to outreach, both local and global outreach ministry that we do. We set aside 10%. I mentioned this last week that we tithe as a church. We set aside 10% of every bit of our money that comes in and we give it away. We give it away to local and global community outreaches and different things. One of the things that we'll be able to do in a couple of weeks, I mentioned this and you've been excited. We've already had people People give more to it, and that is that we will join with the YMCA, and we will give uh, presents to the families that are currently in the domestic abuse center here at Smyrna, Tennessee. And so I'm excited about that because not only will we get that information from the families, we'll be able to have a time together where we'll come together and wrap them if you're available. So the weekend of Sunday the 19th, Monday the 20th, so 19th in the afternoon, 20th in the evening, we will meet at the YMCA whoever's available, and we'll wrap those presents together. So put that in your calendar if you can do that. Uh, we'll send out through email and on our social media opportunities for you to register just so we know how many we're bringing so that we can wrap those presents as well as be able to purchase. I mentioned last week that um, I told the YMCA director, a friend of mine, Hodge, that we were, he, their goal was six as the YMCA. I told you that. I said, well, go ahead and put victory down for 10. So we're just going to ruin your goals. Um, and so we had a couple people give towards that extra. So it looks like we'll be able to give more than 10, and I met with Hodge this week. He said that the YMCA had already picked up six people. So we're already knocking on the door of 20 families. Come on, can we give God praise for that? That's incredible. 20 families that will be gifted with Christmas this year, and I know God's going to do even more because he blows out our expectations. So I'm excited. Uh, a couple of logistical announcements. As you came in, you were given a bulletin that talks about our December schedule, Sundays as normal, until you get to Christmas weekend, to which we'll have a Friday Christmas Eve service 
no Sunday service. So on that Sunday, no service. Don't come here or you'll be stuck outside. That Friday night will be Christmas Eve. We have an incredible service planned with music and ministry, lighting of candles. It's just going to be a phenomenal time. You don't want to miss it. So put it on your calendar, Friday night, uh, December 24th, right? <laughs> Christmas Eve. How could you forget that date? Um, one more logistical announcement, just so you know. I, I unfortunately was around some family over the holidays that tested positive for COVID-19. I have tested and I am negative, um, but just to be, just out of a, an abundance of caution, I'm not going to be out doing my, my handshaking and hugging line that I like to do. So if you are, I just want to do that again. I've tested negative, but I just want to be careful as I can and respect you. And so if you are passionate in hugging me and shaking my hand, you have to come back next week to be able to do that, all right? All right, come on, give God praise for that. There's a reason to come back next week, baby, to be able to hug Pastor Troy. And so uh, I, I do, I say that because, number one, that's one of my favorite opportunities on Sunday morning is to be able to connect with you, and I hate that I miss it, but I just, uh, I just wanna be as respectful as I can of you and your family. Um, we're in a series right now called The Greatest Adventure. I shared a couple weeks ago that I think us choosing to follow Jesus Christ as our savior and follow, give him our life, is the greatest adventure that we could ever commit to. And then I admitted that I think that trusting God with our finances is the adventure inside of the adventure. And so I think it's important for us as believers, whether you're new to the Lord or whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, I think it's important for us to not only talk about what it means to trust God with our finances, but to really bring out testimonies in scripture to show us the adventure that we go on when we trust God with our finances. Um, through this series, we are going to kind of put an action step out towards the end. I explained it a little bit over the past couple weeks. I'm gonna explain it again. And then next Sunday will be kind of our official day to, to take that step. There's two ways for you to trust God with your finances through this series. Uh, you'll be handed a card or have been handed a card like this. The first way is for those that are already tithing, those that are already giving towards the ministry. You know at the end of every year, we do something called Purpose Prevails. And the idea, is that, the idea of that is that you would look back on the year and be able to see all that God has done for you financially, that you would pray and ask God for an amount that you would give above your tithes to be able to just say thank you to God. We've done this every year. It's an amazing thing. I say this to you. Pray about it. If God doesn't tell you to give, don't give. That's not, I'm not in the, the business of talking you into it. But if God tells you to give, give what God says and watch him bless you. Every year, we've had people step out in faith and give, and that purpose prevails offering. And every year, we've taken it and done different ministry with it. But we're excited because this year, we'll take 100% of that, and we'll put it towards our building. And so there's a few things that we'll need to get before we launch. We'll have to put our sign up. We need to get chairs. We've never owned chairs because they're here in the school. And so there's all kinds of things, and we have that money put aside, but we believe that God's going to allow that money to come in, and we'll be able to make those purchases. So it's really exciting for those of you that are praying about Purpose Prevails. You're making that prayer knowing that whatever you're giving is going towards getting our building ready so that when we launch next year in 2022, we can go after the lost people in that area and see God move. The second thing on the card is something brand new to us as a church, and I'm calling it God's guarantee. And I wrestled with this for a while because I remember how hard it was for me before I started tithing, the principle of tithing. Um, and I used to always struggle with that. Man, I, I didn't think I had enough. I, used to, I had all these reasonable excuses not to do it. And I wish somebody would have given me this opportunity because I really think I would have taken them up on it. The Bible says, we'll read it actually today, the Bible says uh, to test God in this, in the principle of tithing. And so we're doing something called God's guarantee. And what it is, is it's giving you the opportunity starting in December to give faithfully in tithing for 90 days. And when you do that for 90 days, here's the promise we're making as a church, that if you don't see God, uh, how do I say this? If you don't see God faithful in your finances, okay? If you don't see God be faithful in your finances, at the end of that 90 days, we will give you 100% of what you gave back. Uh, we're doing that because we believe what Scripture says. We believe that God says, test me, and he wants to show you that he will meet your need, that he is enough. There's a whole process on here of things we got to, you know, again, we have to be able to keep up with information. You have to have some way to be able to log that information because you can't just come up to me in 90 days and go, pretty sure I gave a million dollars to the church over the past 90 days because we won't believe you. Um, but it's just a great opportunity. I was sharing this with a few people after church last Sunday. It's a great opportunity for those of you that have always wanted to do this 
but there's just been some, something in you, a, a reservation in you because of fear or because of you're not sure you'd have enough, this is your opportunity to take that step and watch this. See God prove to you that he is faithful when you trust him with your finances. Amen? So as you leave today, uh, these will be available to you. Next Sunday, we'll definitely make sure they get to you because that'll be kind of the moment where we start encouraging you to take those steps, start praying about that and moving forward. Next week, I'll share a little bit about what we've been able to do uh, just throughout our community over the past few years financially and, and outreach and different things. It's just gonna be a great, great Sunday. So if you're not coming back to hug me or shake my hand next week, come back to be able to hear those testimonies and to be able to make this step out in faith of trusting God with your finances. If you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Exodus chapter 16. That's, this is the, the scriptures that we've been in as we've been kind of developing this series called The Greatest Adventure. These are the, the, the scriptures we've been standing on, we've been believing on. <clears throat> I'll give you a little bit of context before we start reading. The children of Israel have been in slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, and God has set them free through Moses. And as you know, he splits the Red Sea, and then they get out into the wilderness, and they don't have anything to eat. They brought some stuff from Egypt. That food has now since run out, and they begin to grumble because they do not have food. And then God makes a plan, an agreement with Moses, and says, here's how I'm going to provide food for the children of Israel while they're in this journey through the wilderness. He says, I'm going to bring quail from heaven at night, and then I'm going to give bread from heaven in the morning. In the first week of the series, we talked about how it wasn't physical bread, but it was seed, and they had to take that seed and make it into bread. And so this principle is set out to Moses. Moses then goes and tells the children of Israel, and that story is what we've been reading each week and been building the series on. So we're going to read a couple of verses again, starting at verse 16. So Exodus 16, 16, whether you got your Bible or your phones, we'll read to verse 21, and then we'll get into the message. It says, this is what the Lord has commanded. This was in, in regard to the actual coriander seed that they would get and make the bread in the morning. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. This is important because he's saying, you know how much you need. So gather as much as you need. Take an omer, that was the measuring system he gave. Take an omer for each person that you have in your tent. So count your family. Therefore, here's the measurement system so that you'll know what you need. The Israelites did what? As they were told. They did as they were told. Some gathered much and some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much. And the one that had gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Now here are gonna be the important verses for today. Then Moses said to them, no one, no one is to keep any of it until the morning. Eat it all tonight or throw it in the trash. Do not save any of it until the morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. So they kept part of it until the morning. But when they woke up, it was full of maggots and it began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, so they learned their lesson. And when the sun grew hot, it would melt away. I've got kind of a funny sermon title for you this morning. I'm going to say it, uh, and I just think it's one of those messages that you really need to lean into. The title of my sermon is, Help My, Wor my Wealth Has Worms. Help. Everybody say, Help. help. My Wealth Has Worms. This is one of those teaching messages. I felt like last week was way more of a preaching message, but this is more of a teaching message that I really encourage you to lean in. I really encourage you to take notes because I think there are some principles today that if you will apply them to your life, you will see them impact you from years to come. Uh, one Christmas, I believe it was Christmas. It may have been Casey Ray's birthday. I'm not sure. Uh, it came time for her to open up all of her presents, and she's opening all these different presents, and one of them is a card from her great-grandmother. And she opens it up, and when she opens the card, now keep in mind at this time, Casey Ray couldn't read, but when she opens the card, a $20 bill fell out of the card. 
uh, confessed a couple weeks ago that my youngest daughter, Casey Ray, has a weird obsession with money. So she begins to freak out. She picks up the $20 bill. She's like, Dad, Mom, look, I got $20. Now, in her mind, she's holding like a million dollars in her hand, right? She doesn't realize that it's not even a tank of gas that she's got in her hands. But she's freaking out. And so we're like, awesome, awesome. And then she goes on to, to start opening the rest of the presents. So the, the day kind of goes on. And now I'm in the living room cleaning up all the trash and I'm putting her presents to the side, and I'm throwing all the paper away, and I lift something up, and under it was that $20 bill. And so I saw an opportunity to teach my daughter something, and so I grabbed it, and I called her into the living room, and I said, hey, babe, you forgot about your money, and I handed it to her, and I said, you need to put it somewhere safe. I said, I don't know if you have a piggy bank or if you have like a little wallet or a little purse, but you need to put it somewhere safe so that you don't what? Lose it. You all know. It's very simple. So she looks at me straight in the eye, and she says, okay, I'll give it to mom. I thought right then, this is a bad thing you're about to do, but I'm going to let you learn. So she goes and gives it to Darla, and I don't know what Darla did with it. She either put it in her purse, or knowing her, she put it in her pocket, or gave it to Starbucks. I don't really know what she did, but, but a couple weeks go by, and we're driving down the road, and Casey Ray's in the back seat. Darla's in the passenger seat. I'm driving, and Casey Ray says, can we go to Target so I can get a toy? And I said, no, baby, we don't really have the money for that right now. And she goes, well, I have money. And I was like, you do? And when she said, well, I have money, I noticed a visual change in my wife, <laughs> right? Like something just shifted. And so I looked at her and I thought, I'm going to ham this up pretty good. You know, this is going to be fun. And so I was like, oh, you do? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, sweetheart, where is it? And she said, well, well. I don't know. And I said, didn't you give it to mom? And she said, yeah, I gave it to mom to keep it safe. And I was like, that was so smart, baby, that you gave it to your mom, not your dad, to keep it safe. And so I looked over at Darla. We're going to pretend you're Darla. I looked over at Darla and I said, honey, where is it? And you could just see that complete fear over her face, right? And out of like the side of her mouth, she goes, I don't know. I, I think I spent it. And that was a lesson for young Casey Ray. And here was the lesson. Well, it was a lesson for me too because $20 came out of my pocket, right? Because Darla lost it or spent it. But here was a lesson for Casey Ray. Be careful who you trust to protect your wealth. Be careful who you trust to protect your wealth, or your wealth may end up with some worms. Throughout this series, we've learned a couple different things. We've learned that God will test us so that we can see if we trust him. We've learned that God will provide what we need. We've learned that God will help us give more than we got. And what I mean by that, last week we talked about God is bad at math and the ability to allow us to actually give to people more than we actually have. And today, I want us to see that God will protect what we have. So let me say it again. We've learned that God will test us to make sure that we trust him. We've learned that God will provide what it is that we need. We've learned that through the power of God, we'll be able to give more than we actually have. And today, we are going to learn that God will protect what we have. In Exodus chapter 16, the children of Israel, well, some of the children of Israel, hear the instructions from God, and here's what God says. God says, I'm going to provide for you daily what you need. So take what you need for today, and then Moses, again, relays what God said. Do not put any aside. Do not try to secure anything for tomorrow. But the Bible says that they ignored God's instructions, and watch this, this is important, and they took their own safety into their own hands. They took their security into their own hands. I was trying to picture this moment, because here's what I think happened. Imagine Johnny and Betty, and they're in the kitchen, and they went and got some coriander seed, and Betty's crushing it up and getting ready to make some bread, and as she's making the bread, she's setting it aside, and Johnny comes in, and he says, hey, what you doing? She says, I'm making the bread that God gave us. And he said, hmm, it looks good. She says, yeah, I've already tasted some. It's delicious. And he says, I tell you what, 
I'm a little worried about tomorrow. I'm not certain that God is going to provide for us tomorrow the way that he did. I know Moses said don't keep any, but you know, Moses is sometimes a little off his rocker. Like it's a good chance that God gave us all of this to be able to, maybe it's a whole week supply. So I could picture him saying, let's just eat some of this and then let's set some of this aside in case there's a rainy day tomorrow. In, in case God doesn't do what God said he was going to do, Let's just put this off to the side so that we'd be safe in case God doesn't come through. It's what happened in Exodus 16. And yet, when he wakes up in the morning, what he had put aside to bring his self-security is now spoiled. What he had put away is now wasted. We have to understand that God has a solution for every dilemma in life including financial dilemmas. God has a solution for every dilemma that you focus on in life. If you have a dilemma with your children, the Bible has a solution for it. If you have a dilemma in your marriage, the Bible has a solution for it. If you have a dilemma at your job, with your spouse, with your friends, with your health, even in your finances, the Bible has a solution for it. God made a promise to you and to me to provide for us, and to protect us. But it's when we ignore God's instructions, it's when we don't follow God's instructions that we begin to worry about tomorrow. Let me see if I'm talking to the right people. At any point in your life, if you've ever worried about tomorrow in the terms of finances, raise your hand. Thank you for being honest. When we ignore the instructions of God, that's when we put ourselves in a position to then need to worry about tomorrow. And so here's what I want to talk to you about. If we will follow the instructions of God, then we can keep the maggots out of our manna. If we will follow the instructions of God, we'll keep the maggots out of our manna. Some of us, some of us have put ourselves in situations where our manna is overwhelmed with maggots, where our wealth is overwhelmed with worms. Let's go back to Exodus 16. I want to read these verses again. It says, Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any off until the morning. All right, so no one is to put some aside for the morning. Don't do it. However, some of them, not all of them, but some of them paid no attention to what Moses said, and they kept part of it until the morning. That's where I get that illustration that Johnny's putting it aside. But when they wake up in the morning, it's full of maggots, and it begins to smell. Could you imagine this moment? <laughs> like, like just, just for a second, let's get, let's get into this story. Let's imagine that, that Johnny, I, don't, I probably need a better biblical name, right? But we're just going to stick. We'll go with Mark, all right? Because we know that's in the Bible. So Mark wakes up. I guess John is. Johnny's just the cooler version. So, so Mark wakes up in the morning, and he decides he wants a little bit of coffee and maybe a little Danish, you know, a little, little breakfast something before he's going to read the paper, right? I'm sure the paper's like on stone at that point. And so he wakes up, and he goes to the kitchen, makes himself a little coffee or whatever it looked like in that day. And he's so excited because under that towel or under that tarp is some of that bread that his wife made. And he's got a plan. He's going to set the honey out. He's going to have a good old time. And he goes and he pulls back that tarp. And in that precious bread is just crawling with maggots. Can you imagine? Have you ever seen a maggot? Yeah, they're disgusting. I'll never forget the first time I ever saw maggots. I remember going to a track. This is not normally something people preach about. I know I get it. Like, you're like, this is really weird that this is what we're talking about. But it's in the Bible. I remember I went to the trash can one time, and I opened the trash can lid. And I don't remember why, if it was food or what. But there were maggots. And that's when I learned. I learned that maggots were like baby flies, I think. I'm not really sure. Um, but, it, but it was a disgusting. Those things, they're just like little nasty grub worms. And they're like crawling. Like, for real, for a second. Let's, let's, let's quit pretending like we're just reading something on a paper and let's get into the scene. Let's imagine being this guy who wakes up and goes to the bread that he's put aside to be able to be his security in case God doesn't come through. And the very thing he had put his trust in is now crawling with the nastiest thing you've ever seen. The children of Israel decided that they were going to rely on themselves 
for safety instead of God. But what they believed would bring them security is now spoiled. When we rely on ourselves instead of God for security, the thing that we are putting our security in is threatened to become spoiled. Let me ask you this. What would you do? Have you ever wondered, what would you do if the thing that you count on to keep you secure ended up not being safe itself? Let me ask that again. What would you do if the thing right now that you are counting on to keep you secure and safe isn't safe itself? For some of us, we're counting on our job to keep us secure. What if you found out that it wasn't safe itself? For some of us, we're counting on our savings account. For some of us, it's our 401k. For some of us, it's our parents. For some of us, it's our friends. For some of us, it's money we put aside an emergency fund. But what if the very thing that we are looking to for security isn't safe itself? I read this study that it's even worse post-COVID. And since post-COVID, watch this, 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Can you imagine that? 63, 63% of Americans, that's more than half. That's almost three quarters of the world in America is living paycheck to paycheck. In case you're young enough or, or whatever, you don't, you don't know what that means, let me explain a little bit. Most people get paychecks every two weeks. That's what most people get. Some people get them every week. Some people get them once a month. But the average person gets them twice a week. So when you live paycheck to paycheck, that, here's what that means. That by the time you get paid on week two, and by the time you get paid again on week four, you don't have any money left. So you're literally living paycheck to paycheck. I know people, I have good friends who when they first get paid, you would think they are so rich, they're going out to eat, they're buying new clothes, they're going to the movies, but you always know when it's about three days until payday because they won't leave the house they're eating ramen noodles, ramen noodles, whatever you say, you know what I mean? Because they've, wait, they've used it all, and as they're getting, they're actually at a point where they're waiting to get paid again so they could do it all over again. That's just a normal system for America to survive between paychecks. Now, here's the biggest problem with that. The biggest problem with that is that individual cannot handle an emergency. If all of a sudden, the alternator was to go out in the car, they have no money to fix it. If all of a sudden they needed brand new tires on their car, they'd have no way to fix it. If all of a sudden the light bill was more expensive than it was supposed to be, if, if something was to happen out of the normal routine, they would not be able to handle it. Hence, a credit card. We bring in credit cards for emergencies. If I'm at a place where I can't afford that and I need it, then I'll put it on a credit card, I'll pay for it later. That's our security system. Not only could we not afford a battery to go dead or a tire to blow, imagine if we were to lose our jobs. This is what was happening with the chaos in America less than a couple years ago. It's people who thought they were secure because they had a job were losing their jobs and everything that they had put their security on was now spoiled, and they didn't know what to do. And in the study where 63% of Americans said they were living paycheck to paycheck, two-thirds of them ended the interview by saying they wish they had some type of emergency fund or savings account. Now listen to me. I'm all for savings accounts. I'm all for emergency funds. I have a savings account myself. I believe in savings accounts. I believe that when you honor God with your finances, he'll put you in a position to have a savings account. One for emergencies, but also so you can be able to bless people. I'll talk more about that later. I believe in savings accounts. I believe in emergency funds. If you have a savings account, you're not going to hell. Like that's great, great job if you have a savings account. But listen to me, there's no amount of money in the world that can protect you from life. There, there's no amount of money in the world that can protect you from life. You say, oh yeah, there is, if I had a billion dollars. Well, fantastic. You know what I mean? That's like asking someone in high school, what would you do if you had $7 million? I don't know, because I never will. 
You know, and so we, yeah, you can jump to that conclusion if you want, but let's be honest for a second. The amount of money that we're making, there's no amount of money that we're making that could prepare us for life because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so while I believe in a savings account and while I believe in an emergency fund, listen to me, I believe that the best way to feel secure about tomorrow is to entrust my finances to the one who already knows what tomorrow holds. That's too good for you not to hear that again. While I believe in a savings account and while I believe in an emergency fund and while I think you should have it all, I think the only way, the only way that you can ever feel secure about tomorrow is to entrust your finances to the one who knows what tomorrow holds. I wrote this illustration down, but I never made it in my message, so I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it now. We have to make sure that we aren't saving up for an umbrella in case it rains instead of entrusting the one who decides whether or not it rains. You know what I mean? Put it this way. Money is not the answer to our problems. God is. I, I think I'm going to preach more on this next week. But if you'll notice, a lot of times money tries to take the place of God. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about how the love of money is the root of all evil. The obsession for money, that love for money is when you make money your God. There's another verse, and I may bring this up next week, but in case I don't, that talks about the spirit of mammon. talks about a spirit that's on money. And it talks about how money tries to get into the place of God. Now, here's how I can show you evidence of that. If you've ever been in a situation where you've had to say this, we either need a move of God, or a whole lot of money. If you've ever had a situation where you've said that, if you've ever stepped into a place where you thought your problems could be fixed if you just had more money, that shows you the moment where we start to put money where God's supposed to be. Money doesn't solve problems. God does. Now, God may use money, but you have to make sure it's in the right order. I believe that my God uses money to solve problems, but I worship God first, and I allow God to use the money. I don't worship money and hope that money is influenced by God. Does that make sense? Money doesn't solve my problems. God does. I'll give you an example of that. This is one of my favorite stories. Uh, many, I've mentioned to many of you guys, Pastor Ron, he's my pastor. He was my pastor at my church in Memphis when I got saved. He now pastors in Oklahoma. He's still my pastor to today. He will be uh, at, our, at our building in March to kind of commission our building. It's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal Sunday. You don't want to miss that for a lot of you to be your first time meeting him. Um, but he was telling me this story one time. I'll never forget it. He pastors in Oklahoma, nice-sized church. And there was a gentleman going to his church named Mike. Uh, I'm going to say his last initial. So it's Mike R was his last name. Mike R. was very wealthy, so wealthy that he had his own helicopter, okay? That's how wealthy he was. And Mike was a, was a, was a tither. He tithed 10% of his money, you know, to the, the church that Pastor Ron pastored. So you can imagine that was a nice amount of money that he's giving. And therefore, Pastor Ron and the church is able to do great ministry because of it. So one day, a few months have gone by, and somebody brings it to his attention that Mike R. is giving significantly more than he had been giving, and Mike R's job isn't really the kind of job where you get a raise. So Pastor Ron was a little, you know, interested in what was happening. They were really good friends, so they got together. And Pastor Ron said, "Hey, Mike, you know, I've noticed this. What, what's going on?" Mike said, "Here's what I won't tell you the whole story, but here's basically what it was. Mike loved this ministry in Los Angeles, and he gave to this ministry. It's called the Dream Center. He gave to this ministry all the time. Gave large chunks of money to this ministry above his tithes." But something had happened with that ministry, and Mike had gotten offended. He had gotten offended by the ministry. So he took that money away and started giving it to Pastor Ron's church. Now, obviously, Pastor Ron, he won't say this, but this is me talking, all right, because I'm just real with you. That would have been an interesting situation for me, because here's what you know. You know that you're getting extra money as a church to be able to do great things as a ministry, but you know that this man being offended with this ministry is not of God, Right? It's not of God for him to carry this offense. So what do you do there? It's a real weird, like, like, do I say, oh, but maybe God wanted us to have this money because we need this money, so is it possible that God's letting this guy be offended? You know, we just, we make these things up in our head. Or do I step out and trust God? So that's what he did. So here's what he said. He said, Mike, he happened to be friends with the pastor of the Dream Center. 
So he set up a meeting between the pastor of the Dream Center and Mike R. And they found out it was a miscommunication, misunderstanding. They hugged it out. It was great. And sure enough, the next week, that extra money stopped coming in. He started putting it back towards Dream Center. Pastor Ron's like, hey, you know, it stinks, but, but I'm glad that we're doing the right thing here and God will take care of us. A couple months go by and Mike R. decides he's going to move to L.A. to be able to help that ministry. And Pastor Ron's like, what are you doing? Like, not only did I step out and do what your word says, but now, now the whole thing's gone. But, and again, he's more spiritual than me. So he trusted God, but I'd have been like, God, like, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? Like, I trusted you and now you're taking it. What are you doing here? few months go by, and his CFO calls him and says, hey, are you familiar with the name Mike? And then I'm going to say his last initial, which was G. So are you familiar with a Mike G? Pastor Ron said, no, I don't know that name at all. He said, well, you might want to give him a call because he made a very large gift to the church. So Pastor Ron said, okay. So he gave him a call. He said, hey, this is Pastor Ron. Just wanted to check in, see, you know, just meet you, say thank you, figure out the story. Come to find out, this guy had just moved to the area and was looking for a home church, had attended Pastor Ron's church, loved it, told his wife, his wife agreed, this is, will be our home church, and they had started tithing, and this guy made more money. Put it this way, Mike R. had a helicopter, Mike G. had an airplane, okay? <laughs> so here's my point to that. Not only does this resource that's come in, it's now triple of what Mike R. was given, their name is the same. Mike, like God has humor on top of provision. Pastor Ron steps out and makes this decision that lines up with the will of God. He could have sat back and go, you know what? I need to take this security into my own hands, right? I need to do what I need to do to make sure that we have what we need. But God said, I trust you. Your word says this. So even though it means that I might have to lose out on something, I'm trusting you, and God says, when you trust my instructions, you are putting me responsible for your provision and for your security, and I got a way of providing that is not only above understanding, it's hilarious. Not only will I bring a guy that meets the need above, not only will I take you from a helicopter to an airplane, I'll make sure his name is Mike. That has to be crazy to us. This is what I mean. Like, God is not just a provider. He's a father. Not only does he provide, he gives us a little joke in the process because he says, hey, I know you were worried for a little bit, but you followed my instructions, and when you follow my instructions, you make me your provider, and when I'm your provider, I bring my security into your life, and you no longer have to worry about tomorrow because I'm the one who designed what tomorrow will look like. Look, I'll, look I'm getting off notes for a second. Okay, that was way too powerful for us to walk away from. We are trying to secure ourselves. Now, here's what I need you to do. If you're in this place, and you know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, I need you to come up on stage. Come up on stage. My point exactly. I should have got off the stage, but I wouldn't have been on the camera. Yet we're trusting ourselves. Meanwhile, he is the one who pinned exactly what is going to happen. If I'm going to trust someone for security in tomorrow, I want to trust the one who wrote it. Am I right? But when we rely on ourselves for provision and when we rely on our, on our finances for protection, we will always find ourselves wondering if we have enough and we will always find ourselves overwhelmed by this, the fear of running out. Call it foro. Foro. If I trust God or if I trust myself, if I trust myself for provision, if I trust my finances for protection, then I'm always going to be under this mindset of, I don't know if I have enough. I don't want to run out, right? Man, I really want to give to that, but I'm not sure I'll have enough. Man, I really want to support that, but I'm not sure I'll have enough. I really want to help that person, but I'm not sure I have enough. All of my life, before I started tithing, this is just me being completely honest with you, I wanted to give towards God. When I got saved, 
I totally understood Jesus dying for my sins and the grace. So it wasn't that I didn't want to give. I wanted to give. I wanted to give. But my fear was, if I give to him this, then at the end of the month, I'm not going to have enough to pay for the things that I have to have. That's where my mind was. And I, I, you can call it immature, you can call it lack of faith, call it whatever you want. It's just who I was. It's where I was in my life. I wanted to give to him because I love him, but I could not get over that fear of running out. I could not get over that fear that if I give him 10% now, then I have 10% less for the rest of this month, and my rent hasn't changed, and my food bill hasn't changed, and my car note hasn't changed, and my phone bill hasn't changed, and all these things, and when I get to the month, I'm honestly afraid that I'm not going to have enough. And I think if there was a word that you as a believer struggle with, when it comes to trusting God with your finances, the word is enough. Most of us, we're not expecting, you know, an exuberant amount of money. We just want to have enough. I just need enough to be able to give to God and to be able to, I just need enough. And I had this thought this week, and I hope it really ministers to you. What if it takes us running out of what we have to learn that God is all we need. Thank you. What if it takes you and I to run out of what we have? I don't want to give because what if I run out of what I have? Well, that might be a good thing because if you run out of what you have, you are now put into a position to find out that God is all you need. Now listen, don't go out and buy lottery tickets and spend all your money and be like, well, I ran out of everything. God bless me. But when you trust God with your finances and then you find yourself doing what you have to do and your fear is I'm looking at the end of the month and I think I'm going to run out, you have positioned yourself perfectly so that God can step up and show himself faithful that he is all you need. I was thinking about this. The woman with the, with the oil, right? I talked about the widow with the oil who was running out of oil and she couldn't make food for her child. And so she was prepared for her and him to die. She was going to make one last meal and they were going to die. Watch this. It wasn't until she ran out of what she had that she learned that God had everything that she needed, right? Then I started thinking about the wedding in Cana. Right And the wine and how they ran out of wine and Jesus came in and turned water into wine and he gave the best wine at the end. And the, and the guy said, normally people serve the worst wine at the end because everybody's so drunk, they don't know any different. And he said, I've never seen somebody provide the best. It wasn't until they ran out of what they had that they learned that God was all that they needed. The 5,000 that we talked about last week, they get the bread and they feed 25,000. Look, it wasn't until they ran out of what they had that they learn that God was all that they need. For some of us, the process is until we get to a place where we are out of what we have. Because listen, as long as you have, you'll try to be God. As long as you have, you'll try to move it around and make it work. But it's not until we run out of what we have, until we trust it to God, that then we learn that God is all we need. So then I step back and look at Exodus 16, and I realize this, that God gave the Israelites an opportunity, watch this, to test him and see that he was enough. All right, let's go to Exodus 16. I want to show you this. This, this really kind of jumped off the page to me. I've read this multiple times, obviously, as we've been working through these sermons, but this part jumped off more than ever. I read it the past couple weeks, but it just something happened this week, and it stood out bigger than ever. Watch this. The Israelites did as they were told, all right? I don't even have to preach that. You understand that what that is is they followed God's instructions. So everything we're about to read is a result of them following God's instructions. Some gather much. Here's a little side note for you because I'm preaching all off my notes today. When they followed what God told them to do, there was blessing. When they ignored what God told them to do, there was maggots. All right? All right? I won't go that way. Y'all ain't ready. Okay. So some gather much, some little. Watch this. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have to much. Say too much. Too much. The one who gathered much, he gathered much because he had a big family, did not have too much. Now, 
the one who gathered little did not have what? Too little. Here's what's amazing. I, I, I've read this a hundred times. The one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. What we're seeing in Scripture, are you ready? Is a measurement system that God says, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, if you will trust God, you will have enough. Look, don't worry, we're going to get there. It's more clapping than most pastors get when they talk about finances. But it's this phenomenal measurement system that God puts for us that says, hey, God is proving that he is enough. Whether you got a lot or whether you got a little. I find a lot of times, depending on which area we're in, we justify not trusting God with our finances. Oh, I don't have a lot, so I don't really have anything to trust God with. Or I have so much that I obviously don't need to trust God. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, when you trust God, it's not too much and it's not too little because God is enough. He's enough. And for some of us, that's the word we need right now, is enough. Look, Christmas is coming up. <laughs> what do you say? I don't have what? Enough. You pull up to get gas and it's $47,000 a gallon and you don't have enough. We don't have enough, and yet God is enough. God gave the Israelites this process, this test, so that they could step out and see that God is enough. He gave them a, an actual test. He said, here, test me. Try this out and see that I am enough. Likewise, the principle of tithing for us, church, is the test that God gave us so that we could step out and see that God is enough. I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I'm gonna say it. I think there's something in us that once we believe God is enough in our finances, we can believe he's enough in everything. When, when you see God being enough miraculously in your life in, in forms of provision, it helps you in your faith, believing that God is enough. Watch this. When we believe he's enough, once you believe he is enough, you'll trust him with your finances. And here's why. Because we believe that he will never put us in a situation where we don't have enough. When you believe God is enough, you also believe he won't put you in a situation where you don't have enough. And so you trust God. And I want you to understand today that when we follow God's instructions, let me say it like this, for all of you that are believers of Jesus Christ, if you're not a believer of Jesus Christ, hopefully you'll be a believer after today. But for all of you that are believers of Jesus Christ, listen to me. God wants to protect what you have. And he's proved it with a promise because what you have is protected by a promise. Watch this, Malachi chapter three. You've probably heard about the book of Malachi. Most people will use this to preach tithing. The argument is that it's Old Testament. I could show you in both the New Testament and the Old Testament where Jesus talks about tithing. I might throw that in next week so that you'll have the confidence of it. In case you've ever said, that's Old Testament. No, it's in the New Testament too, I'll show you. But this is a phenomenal verse. I'm gonna read it, I'm gonna break it down and then we'll pray, watch this. Chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. I told you in week one that tithe means test. It's a tenth for test. The number 10 in the Bible was test. So he's saying, I'm going to test you through the tithe. So bring your tithe to the storehouse. Where's the storehouse? Where you get fed. The storehouse for you is where you get fed spiritually. Then he goes on to say that there may be food in my house. In other words, you tithe to where you are fed spiritually so that where you are fed spiritually can continue to feed. Does that make sense? That where you are receiving the word of God can, can continue to give the word of God in Smyrna, in Antioch, in Rutherford County, through online, through person, through small groups, through outreaches, and people will be saved. And then here's this part. Test me in this. This is where God says, in case you've ever wondered in scripture, God says, test me in this. Test me, says the Lord Almighty. 
and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Now, I'm not going to preach prosperity from this. I do believe God blesses us beyond our way. I do believe it's to be able to help other people. It's not so that we can just put it aside and set on our money like the grandfather of Donald Duck or whatever it was. I believe so, so that we can do ministry. But, but here's the part I want you to get. Here's the part I want you to write down. Here's the part I want you to remember. God says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. In the Middle East, it was very common for a swarm of locusts to come in and to devour all people's crops. It wasn't the devil, <laughs> okay? Not everything bad that happens to us is the devil. Sometimes it's just life. I was driving down the street the other day and I, I drove over a nail and my tire popped. Oh, get behind me, Satan. What? Satan's like, I wouldn't even, even pay attention to you right then. You just know that I-24 is stupid, right? You know what I mean? It's just crazy. You ran over a nail. Guess what? Life happens. Locusts come in. Life happens. But God says, and I just believe this with all of my heart. God says, when you trust me with your finances... I will rebuke the devourer is another version of this verse. I will rebuke the things that life brings. I will find ways to help you so that your money isn't wasted on things out of control, but they can be used to build the kingdom of God and bless people. Watch this. The Bible says when we honor God with our finances, he steps in, he protects our finances from being drained by all sorts of things that are beyond our control. You say, Troy, you can't really believe that. You can't really believe that by trusting God with my finances, I'm gonna supernaturally miss out or, or make turns or avoid things that would have happened to me and would have cost me money had I not trusted God. I 100% believe that. Part of me believes it because I read it in scripture. The other part of me believes it because I literally continue to live it. I'll share just one, I'll share two quick stories with you and then we'll close. The first one, I'll try to make it really quick. When we were getting ready to move here to plant Victory, I took a significant pay cut from where I was to be able to make that happen. We moved in with my in-laws. We were living off about 30 to 40% of what we had been living off of. Uh, our, we were renovating our house with my father-in-law's help so that we could sell it. And we just didn't have a lot of money. Any extra money we had, we were doing our best to put aside for victory. But watch this. Even in that process, we never stopped tithing. We never stopped tithing. Our launch team that moved here with us, they immediately started tithing to victory to a separate account so that when we moved here, we already had finances. I never stopped tithing. I never forget it. We got a phone call at one point. I think it was from our realtor. She called and she said, hey, I just need to let you know that your water heater's gone out. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, it wasn't really a bother for us because we weren't using the water. You know, we, were, we weren't there showering. So I was like, well, it doesn't really matter. She's like, well, it doesn't matter right now, but by the time you get ready to sell the house, it needs to be working again. And I said, great. So I looked into it. I don't remember. I want to say it was about $1,500 for it to get completely fixed. And we didn't have it. We didn't have any of it. And I can show you in my journal. If you want to see it, I'll bring it next Sunday and show it to you. Where I literally, I told you I'd walk the gym in Memphis and pray. I wrote down water heater and I just prayed. We kept tithing and I prayed, God, I don't know what to do. I'm not going to be able to pay for this. Like, I mean, I guess we could get out a credit card and put it on a credit card, but I'm not going to be able to pay for this. And I prayed for a couple days. And I remember I reached out to my mom and I just told her what was going on. And my mom had just got a new job. And she said, babe, let me look into a couple things. And she called me back. She said, it just so happens that all of the parts that you need, we sell at this store and I can get them for an incredible discount. She said, on top of that, I can get so-and-so, the guy who works for us, to take care of it. And I said, okay. She goes, I'll look into how much it's going to cost. I'll get back to you. I said, okay, yes, ma'am. A couple days go by. She calls me back. She said, honey, I found out that by the time it's all said and done, it's probably going to cost about 180 bucks. And I was like, say what? And she said, and don't worry, baby, I'll just pay for it. Come on and give God praise for mamas. Give God praise for mama. I know you listen to mama. I love you. God will use whatever he can. He'll use an employee at a place. He'll use a mama to stop 
from allowing the locusts to devour your crops. Why? Because that's money that God knew was about to go to honor him and bless the kingdom of God. Why would God want them to get that money when it could impact the kingdom of God? Make sense? I'll share this story. Many of you know it, but I just love to share it for those that are new. When we got ready to launch Victory, I stood in front of our launch team and I said, we're gonna launch 100% debt-free. We were gonna be a debt-free church. I just believe that's God. I believe that was what God wanted us to do. And so we set a goal of $165,000 that we were going to raise. I had never raised a dollar in my life. I had never asked my, my dad's blue collar. I'm blue collar. I had never asked anybody for a dollar that I didn't go out and work for. I said, you want me to get in front of people and ask them to give to something that even currently doesn't even exist? We had to raise $165,000. That included everything that we needed. That, buy everything, launch, big, all these kind of stuff. By the grace of God, we were up to $100,000 we had raised. It was, uh, it was November to December uh, before we were going to launch. We had decided to move our launch from September of 2018 to January of 2018. So we lost about nine months of fundraising. And we were $65,000 away from our financial goal. And I remember looking at our team and saying, I guess what we're going to have to do is we're just going to have to go take the loan because there are ministries out there that give loans to church plants. They are like zero interest. You just basically pay back what you loan. It's a phenomenal ministry. It's great for guys that need it and churches that need it. So I said, I guess, we, I guess that's just what we're going to have to do. We had just said, like, I guess that's what we're going to have to do. But I, but I knew God had told us not to. Like, it's just weird. Like, I knew we were faithful. We had all tithed. We, we were trusting God with our finances. We were already tithing as a church. Like, like, I just knew God told us not to take on debt. And so I went to Pastor Mike Burnett, who's a great friend of mine, LifePoint Church in Clarksville. And I told him what was going on. And he said, well, you just fill out the application and get it to CMN, which stands for Church Multiplication Network, and they'll get the form and they'll, they'll be able to, you know, it's just, you know, no big deal. We'll pay it off. You'll pay it off quick. No big deal. I said, okay. Took the application. I filled it out. While I'm filling it out, I find out that the application time frame has already passed that if I turn the application and I'm not gonna get the money in time for our launch, so it'd be great to have the money, but I can't buy the things I need, so it's pointless. Well, Mike Burnett has a lot of connections, so I said, hey, do me a favor. Call that dude that's over this and just you know, you know, make some deals and get me in there. He said, okay. He said, tell you what, leave me the application. I'll make the phone call. I'll let you know. I said, all right, sounds great. Left out. We were busy getting ready to launch the church. We were focused on all those different things, meeting people, doing all we could. A couple weeks later, Pastor Mike calls me. He says, hey, what are you and Darla doing on Sunday night? I said, nothing. We were, we're meeting as a church that Sunday morning. We hadn't launched it, but we were doing some growth track stuff. He said, would you and your family come out? He said, we want to film a video and tell our church that you are, because they are a packed church to us. They're a parent-affiliated church for us. Their boards, our boards, so on. He said, we want to tell our church that, about our relationship. I said, great, we'll be out there. We were running a little bit late. He's texting me. He's like, are you going to be here? I said, yeah, we're coming. I'm sorry. It's what happens when you have kids, and they're all women. And so I'm on my way, running a little late. <laughs> We get there, we walk in, the staff is there, the board is there, they have the video on the tripod, and you know, we're shaking hands and hugging people. We're a great relationship with that church, and they get us in front, and Pastor Mike's like, I'm pretty good about communicating, you know, on point, you know, I can I can I can wing it. And so he says, Here's what we're gonna do, we're gonna talk about, we're gonna announce it, you just wave and say thank you. I said, Cool, I got it. So we get there, and I got my arm around him, he's a real big tall guy, and I got my arm around Darla, and we're smiling at the camera, and he's talking about how we are a parent church, and I'm like, it's so great. And he starts talking about finances in this video. And I'm like, in my mind, I don't think it showed on my face, it may have, but in my mind, I'm like, why is he talking about finances in this video? I don't understand it. And I just keep looking at the camera, because I've been taught by Andrew, just look at the camera. So I'm looking at the camera, I'm smiling at the camera, like this, as he's talking. And I never realized that all of a sudden, he slides in front of me one of those big checks, you know what I'm talking about? One of those big checks you get on like Prices Right or something. He slides it over to me, and I look down on it, and it's got $65,000 made out to Victory Church written on it. Yeah, now's where we praise God. I lose it. I ugly cry on the video. I hug him. I thought about showing the video. I may post it on. I hug him. He's so tall. I'm at his belly button. I'm just like hugging him like this. So blown away. Here's my favorite part about that. We already had a meeting a couple nights later with Jenny, Tim and Jenny. Jenny Glimp runs the nursery. V runs VKids, I'm sorry. And at the time, she was our CFO. And we already had a meeting with her to talk about the finances because Jenny is a woman of faith, but she's also a very logistical, intelligent woman. So she'll believe God, but then she'll go, but here's what we need God to do. So she was already prepared to tell me, hey, pastor, we're working on about two months left and we need $65,000. 
I had not told anybody what God had done yet. The big check was in me and Darla's bedroom. We were living in an apartment behind Lowe's. And Jenny and Tim came over and we had dinner and we hung out and she got ready to talk and I let her talk. It was so much fun. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. And she's like, but Pastor me, I'm like, I know, I know, it's terrible, isn't it? That's yeah, a lot of money. It's a lot of money in two months. God, be- I'm, I'm milking this thing up big time. Like, God better do something. He better do something. And so all of a sudden I looked at Darla and said, hey baby, go, go get that thing LifePoint gave us. And so she goes and she walks back in and Jenny just, I mean, just floodgates. And I understand that you can't quite step into that emotional understanding right now of that. But when you start trusting God with your finances and it causes you to step out on faith, I'm telling you right now, something happens when God comes in miraculously and meets that need. Something happens when you start to realize God really is going to provide for me and protect me. There's something I can't explain to you. Some of you, you've experienced it. Some of you, you're going to experience it. But the concept of tithing and the concept of trusting God with our finances is the test, church. It's the test where we step out and see that God is enough. He's enough. That's what's out there for you. And if you're not careful, You'll keep trying to save it on your own. You'll keep trying to secure it on your own. And I'm telling you, when you do that, you run the risk of waking up one day and tomorrow putting maggots in your manna. But when you trust God, you lay your head down on a pillow at night, confident that he gave you enough for today and he'll give you enough for tomorrow and he'll give you enough for the next day and the next day, and the next day. I close with this statement. Jesus really is that good. How good is he? Thank you. Here's how good he is. His death allows you to not worry about being enough, for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it was his sacrifice on the cross that allows you to not worry about being enough, For those of you that you're always worried about being enough, stop trying to be enough. Jesus is enough. He died for you. That's all you need. His death stops you from worrying about being enough. And you ready? Watch this. And his promise allows you to quit worrying about having enough. Do me a favor. Everybody stand in this place. I've gone a little bit late, bless V kids, but I got to say this and I promise I'll pray and get off stage. But I feel like I'm talking to somebody specifically right now. Because I can remember a time in my life where financial pressure and financial issues were so worrisome, so depressing. I remember when it was hard for me and my wife. I remember when it was hard for my faith. And I remember the day that I finally took out and took that step out and started trusting God with my finances. And I've never had that worry since. Now listen to me. I don't have a mansion. I'm not driving a BMW. It's not, I, I, that's cool. I don't know what's cool. That's not my concern. I have enough. I have enough. And I'm talking specifically for a moment to those of you that are struggling with the pressure of finances. And I'm telling you that God wants to set you free. He wants to be enough. But you have got to trust him. Father, I thank you right now for your word. It's like a two-edged sword that pierces our hearts. It's still alive today, Father. What you said in Malachi, what you say in the book of Luke, Father, what you say all throughout the Bible is still true to us today. And for every one of us that are trying so hard, for every single mom, for every single dad, for every young couple, for every older couple, for every person that's trying their best to secure their own safety, They're trying all they can to put enough aside so that they'll be safe in case tomorrow brings rain. Father, right now, I pray they would understand that money is not the answer to their problems, that Father, you are. That they will understand that the only way they will ever experience complete security about their financial life and about tomorrow is to trust the only one who knows what tomorrow holds. And Father, you give us a very clear path on how to do that. 
So I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would pierce the hearts of every man, every woman, every young person, every young adult, every married couple. This may be the area where they've struggled to step out in faith for you. And this could be the moment for you to prove to them that you are enough. I'm just gonna ask you right now to just kind of respond in your own way. Just in a moment of prayer, our worship team's gonna sing a song. And my ask to you right now, just close your eyes. The Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart right now. I want you to have that conversation with God. I want you to tell him, watch this, tell him your worries. Tell him your concerns. He already knows them. Be honest with him. Father, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to be able to step out in faith. What an opportunity to learn that you are enough. Jesus Christ's death was enough for us, for our sins, and your promises are enough for us and our provision. So Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said,